1001 fans, welcome back to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. It's time for a doubleheader from one of my favorite classic authors, O. Henry. The two stories, The Call of the Tame and The Champion of the Weather. Hope you enjoy. And now, The Call of the Tame by O. Henry. When the inauguration was accomplished, the proceedings were made smooth by the presence of the Rough Riders, it is well known that a herd of those competent and loyal ex-warriors paid a visit to the big city. The newspaper reporters dug out of their trunks the old broad-brimmed hats and leather belts that they wear to North Beach fish fries and mixed with the visitors. No damage was done beyond the employment of the wonderful plural tenderfeet in each of the scribes' stories. The Westerners mildly contemplated the skyscrapers as high as the third story, yawned at Broadway, hunched down in the big chairs and hotel corridors, and altogether looked as bored and dejected as a member of ye ancient and honorable artillery separated during a sham battle from his valet. Out of this sight-seen delegations of good King Teddy's gentlemen of the royal bearhounds dropped one Greenbrier Nye of Pinfeather, Arizona. The daily cyclone of Sixth Avenue's rush hour swept him away from the company of his partners, true. The dust from a thousand rustling skirts filled his eyes. The mighty roar of trains rushing across the sky deafened him. The lightning flash of twice ten hundred beaming eyes confused his vision. The storm was so sudden and tremendous that Greenbrier's first impulse was to lie down and grab a root. And then he remembered that the disturbance was human and not elemental, and he backed out of it with a grin into a doorway. The reporters had written that but for the wide-brimmed hats, the West was not visible upon these gauchos of the North. Heaven sharpened their eyes. The suit of black diagonal, wrinkled in impossible places. The bright blue foreign hand, factory tied. The low, turned-down collar, pattern of the days of Seymour and Blair. White glazed as the letters on the window of the open day and night except Sunday restaurants. The outcurve at the knees from the saddle grip. The peculiar spread of the half-closed right thumb and fingers from the stiff hold upon the circling lasso. The deeply absorbed weather tan that the hottest sun of Cape May can never equal. The seldom winking blue eyes that unconsciously divided the rushing crowds into fours, as though they were being counted out of a corral. The segregated loneliness and solemnity of expression, as of an emperor, or of one whose horizons have not intruded upon him nearer than a day's ride. These brands of the West were set upon Greenbrier Nye. Oh, yes, he wore a broad-brimmed hat, gentle reader, just like those the Madison Square Post Office mail carriers wear when they go up to Bronx Park on Sunday afternoon. From his doorway, suddenly, Greenbrier Nye jumped into the drifting herd of metropolitan cattle, seized upon a man, dragged him out of the stream, gave him a buffet upon his collarbone that sent him reeling against a wall. The victim recovered his hat with the angry look of a New Yorker who has suffered an outrage and intends to write to the Trib about it. But he looked at his assailant and knew that the blow was in consideration of love and affection after the manner of the West, which greets its friends with contumely and uproar and pounding fist, and receives its enemies in decorum and order, such as the judicious placing of the welcoming bullet demands. "'God in the mountains!' cried Greenbrier, holding fast to the foreleg of his cull. 
"'Can this be Longhorn Merritt?' "'The other man was. "'Oh, look on Broadway any day for the pattern. "'Businessman. "'Latest rolled brim derby, good barber, business, digestion, and tailor.' "'Greenbar Nye?' he exclaimed, grasping the hand that had smitten him. "'My dear fellow, so glad to see you. "'How did you come to, oh, to be sure, the inaugural ceremonies? "'I remember you joined the Rough Riders. "'You must come and have luncheon with me, of course.' "'Greenbar pinned him sadly but firmly to the wall "'with a hand the size, shape, and color of a McClellan saddle. "'Longy?' he said, in a melancholy voice that disturbed traffic. "'What have they been doing to you? You act just like a citizen. They done made you into an inmate of the city directory. You never made no such Johnny Branch execration of yourself as that out on the Gila. Come and have luncheon with me. You never defined grub by any such terms of reproach in them days. I've been living in New York seven years,' said Merritt. "'It's been eight since we punched cows together "'in old man Garcia's outfit. "'Well, let's go to a cafe, anyhow. "'It sounds good to hear it called Grub again.' "'They picked their way through the crowd to a hotel "'and drifted, as by a natural law, to the bar. "'Well, speak up,' invited Greenbrier. "'A dry martini?' said Merritt. "'Oh, Lord!' cried Greenbrier. "'and yet me and you once saw the same pink Gila monsters "'crawling up the walls of the same hotel in Canyon Diablo. "'A dry, a dry, a dry? "'But let that pass. "'Whiskey, straight. "'And they're on you.' Merritt smiled and paid. "'They lunched in a small extension of the dining room "'that connected with the cafe. "'Merritt dexterously diverted his friend's choice "'that hovered over ham and eggs "'to a puree of celery, a salmon cutlet, a partridge pie, and a desirable salad. "'On the day,' said Greenbrier, grieved and thunderous, "'when I can't hold but one drink before eating, "'when I meet a friend I ain't seen in eight years "'at a two-by-four table in a thirty-cent town "'at one o'clock on the third day of the week, "'I want nine Broncos to kick me forty times "'over a six-hundred-and-forty-acre section of land. "'You get them statistics?' <laughs> right, old man, laughed Merritt. Waiter, bring an absinthe for a pay, and what's yours, Greenbrier? Whiskey straight, mourned Nye. Out of the neck of the bottle you used to take it, straight out of the neck of a bottle on a galloping pony. Arizona red-eye, not this abba. Oh, what the hell. They're on you. Merritt slipped the wine card under his glass. All right, I suppose you think I'm spoiled by the city. I'm as good a westerner as you are, Greenbar, but somehow I can't make up my mind to go back out there. New York is comfortable. I mean comfortable. I make a good living, and I live it. No more wet blankets and riding herd in snowstorms and bacon and cold coffee and blowouts once in six months for me. I reckon I'll hang out here in the future. We take in the theater tonight, Greenbar, and after that we'll dine it. I'll tell you what you are, Merritt said Greenbrier, laying one elbow in his salad and the other in his butter. You are a concentrated effect, unconditional, short-sleeved, gotcheered Miss Sally Walker. God made you perpendicular and suitable to ride straddle and use cuss words in the original. Wherefore you have suffered his handiwork to elapse 
by removing yourself to New York and putting on little shoes tied with strings and making faces when you talk? I've seen you rope and tie a steer in forty-two and a half. If you was to see one now, you'd write to the police commissioner about it. And these flapdoodle drinks that you inoculate your system with? These little essences of cowslip with acorns in them and paragoric flip? They ain't anyways in assent with the cordiality of manhood. Gad, I hate to see you this way. Well, Mr. Greenbrier, said Merritt, with apology in his tone, in a way, you're right. Sometimes I do feel like I was being raised on the bottle. But, I tell you, New York is comfortable. Comfortable. There's something about it. The sights and the crowds, and the way it changes every day, and the very air of it that seems to tie a one-mile-long stake rope around a man's neck, with the other end fastened somewhere about, I'd say, 34th Street. I don't know what it is. "'God knows,' said Greenbrier sadly. "'And I know. "'The East has gobbled you up. "'You was venison, and now you're veal. "'You put me in mind of a Japonica in a window. "'You've been signed, sealed, and diskivered. "'Requiscat in hock signal. "'You make me thirsty.' Uh, "'A green chartreuse here?' said Merritt to the waiter. "'Whiskey straight,' sighed Greenbrier. "'And they're on you, you renegade of the roundups.' "'Guilty, with an application for mercy,' said Merritt. "'You don't know how it is, Greenbrier. "'It's so comfortable here that—' "'Please loan me your smelling salts,' pleaded Greenbrier. "'If I hadn't seen you once bluff three bluffers from Matsitsall City "'with an empty gun back in Phoenix.' Greenbrier's voice died away in pure grief. Cigars! He called harshly to the waiter to hide his emotion. A, a pack of Turkish cigarettes for mine, said Merritt. They're on you, chanted Greenbrier, struggling to conceal his contempt. At seven, they dined in the Where to Dine Well column. That evening, a galaxy had assembled there. "'Bright shone the lights o'er fair women, and br let it go, anyhow, brave men. "'The orchestra played charmingly. "'Hardly had a tip from a diner been placed in its hands by a waiter "'when it would have burst forth into soniferousness. "'The more beer you contributed to it, the more mire beer it gave you, "'which is reciprocity. "'Merritt put forth exertions on the dinner. "'Greenbrier was his old friend, and he liked him. "'He persuaded him to drink a cocktail.' "'I'll take the whorehound tea,' said Greenbrier, "'for old time's sake, but I'd prefer whiskey straight.' "'They're on to you.' "'Right,' said Merritt. "'Now run your eye down that bill of fare "'and see if it seems to hitch on any of these items.' "'Lay me on my lava bed,' said Greenbrier, with bulging eyes. "'All these specimens of nutriment in the grub wagon? "'What's this? Horse with the heaves?' I pass. But look along. Here's truck for twenty roundups all spelled out in different directions. Wait till I see. The viands ordered. Merritt turned to the wine list. This Medoc isn't bad, he suggested. You're the doc, said Greenbrier. I'd rather have whiskey straight, though. And by the way, it's on you. 
Greenbrier looked around the room. The waiter brought things and took dishes away. He was observing. He saw a New York restaurant crowd enjoying itself. How was the range when you left the Gila? asked Merritt. Fine, said Greenbrier. You see that lady in the red speckled silk at that table? Well, she could warm over her beans at my campfire. Yes, the range was good. She looks as nice as a white Mustang I seen once on the Black River. When the coffee came, Greenbrier put one foot on the seat of the chair next to him. You said it was a comfortable town, Longy, he said. "'Meditatively. "'Yes, it's a comfortable town. "'It's different from the plains in a blue norther. "'What did you call that mess in the crock with the handle, Longy? "'Oh, yeah, squabs in a cash roll. "'They're worth the roll. "'That white Mustang had just such a way of turning his head "'and shaking his mane. "'Look at her, Longy. "'If I thought I could sell out my ranch at a fair price, "'I believe I'd... "'Giarson!' he suddenly cried, in a voice that paralyzed every knife and fork in the restaurant. And the waiter dived toward the table. Two more of them cocktail drinks,' ordered Greenbrier. Merritt looked at him and smiled significantly. "'There on me,' said Greenbrier, blowing a puff of smoke up to the ceiling. And now the second story in our O. Henry doubleheader THE CHAMPION OF THE WEATHER If you should speak of the Kiowa Reservation to the average New Yorker, he probably wouldn't know whether you were referring to a new political dodge at Albany or a late motif from Parseval. But out in the Kiowa Reservation, advices have been received concerning the existence of New York. A party of us were on a hunting trip in the reservation. Bud Kingsbury, our guide, philosopher, and friend, was broiling antelope steaks in camp one night. One of the party, a pinkish-haired young man in a correct hunting costume, sauntered over to the fire to light a cigarette and remarked carelessly to Bud, "'Nice night.' "'Why, yes,' said Bud, "'as nice as any night could be "'that ain't received the Broadway stamp of approval.' Now, the young man was from New York, but the rest of us wondered how Bud had guessed it. So, when the steaks were done... "'we besought him to lay bare his system of ratiocination. "'And as Bud was something of a territorial talking machine, "'he made oration as follows. "'How did I know he was from New York? "'Well, I figured it out as soon as he sprung them two words on me. "'Nice night. "'I was in New York myself a couple of years ago "'and noticed some of the earmarks and hoof tracks "'of the Rancho Manhattan. "'Found New York rather different from the Panhandle, didn't you, Bud?' "'asked one of the hunters. "'Can't say that I did,' answered Bud. "'Anyways, not more than some. "'The main trail in that town, which they call Broadway, "'is plenty traveled, "'but they're about the same brand of bipeds "'that tramp around in Cheyenne and Amarillo. "'At first I was sort of rattled by the crowds, "'but I soon says to myself, "'Here now, Bud, they're just plain folks "'like you and Geronimo and Grover Cleveland "'and the Watson boys.' "'so don't get all flustered up with consternation under your saddle blanket. "'And then I feel as calm and peaceful "'like I was back in the nation again at a ghost dance or a green corn powwow. "'I'd been saving up for a year to give this New York a whirl. "'I knew a man named Summers that lived there, but I couldn't find him, 
so I've played a lone hand at enjoying the intoxicating pleasures of the corn-fed metropolis. For a while, I was so frivolous and locoed by the electric lights and the noises of the phonographs and the second-story railroads that I forgot one of the crying needs of my western system of natural requirements. I never was no hand to deny myself the pleasures of sociable vocal intercourse with friends and strangers. Out in the territories, when I met a man I never saw before, inside of nine minutes, I'd know his income, religion, size of collar, his wife's temper, and how much he pays for clothes, alimony, and chewing tobacco. It's a gift with me not to be penurious with my conversation. But this here New York was inaugurated on the idea of abstemiousness in regard to the parts of speech. At the end of three weeks, nobody in the city had fired even a blank syllable in my direction except the waiter in the grub emporium where I fed. And as his outpourings of syntax wasn't nothing but plagiarisms from the bill of fare, he never satisfied my yearnings, which was to have somebody hit. If I stood next to a man at a bar, he'd edge off and give a Baldwin Ziegler look as if he suspected me of having the North Pole concealed on my person. I began to wish that I'd gone to Abilene or Waco for my Paseado, for the mayor of them places will drink with you, and the first citizen you meet will tell you his middle name and ask you to take a chance in a raffle for a music box. Well, one day when I was particular hankering for to be gregarious with something more loquacious than a lamp post, a fellow in a cafe says to me, says he, nice day. He was kind of a manager of the place, and I reckon he'd seen me in there a good many times. He had a face like a fish and an eye like Judas, but I got up and put one arm around his neck. Partner, I says, sure, it's a nice day. You're the first gentleman in all New York to observe that the intricacies of human speech might not be altogether wasted on William Kingsbury. But don't you think, says I, that it was a little cool early in the morning, and ain't there a feeling of rain in the air tonight? But along about noon, it sure was galuptious weather. How's all up to the house? You doing right well with the cafe now? Well, sir, that galoot just turns his back and walks off stiff without a word. And after all my trying to be agreeable, I didn't know what to make of it. That night I finds a note from Summers, who'd been away from town, giving the address of his camp. I goes up to his house and has a good old-time talk with his folks, and I tell Summers about the actions of this coyote in the cafe and desires interpretation. Oh, says Summers, he wasn't intended to strike up a conversation with you. That's just the New York style. He'd seen you as a regular customer, and he spoke a word or two just to show you he appreciated your custom. You oughtn't to have followed it up. That's about as far as we care to go with a stranger. A word or so about the weather may be ventured, but we don't generally make it the basis of an acquaintance. Billy, says I, the weather and its ramifications is a solemn subject with me. Meteorology is one of my sore points. No man can open up the question of temperature or humidity or the glad sunshine with me and then turn tail on it without its leading to a falling barometer. I'm going down to see that man again and give him a lesson in the art of continuous conversation. You say New York etiquette allows him two words and no answer? Well, he's going to turn himself into a weather bureau and finish what he begun with me, besides indulging in neighborly remarks on other subjects. Summers talked again it, but I was irritated some, and I went on to the streetcar back to that cafe. 
The same fellow was there yet, walking round in a sort of black corral where there was tables and chairs. A few people were sitting around having drinks and sneering at one another. I called that man to one side and herded him into a corner. I unbuttoned enough to show him a thirty-eight I carried stuck under my vest. Partner, I says, a brief space ago I was in here, and you seized the opportunity to say it was a nice day. When I attempted to corroborate your weather signal, you turned your back and walked off. Now, says I, you frog-hearted, languid-shy, stiff-necked cross between a Spitzbergen seacock and a muzzled oyster, you resume where you left off in your discourse on the weather. The fellow looks at me and tries to grin, but he sees I don't, and he comes around serious. Well, says he, eyeing the handle of my gun, it was rather a nice day. Some warmish, though. Particulars, you mealy-mouthed snoozer, I says. Let's have the specifications. Expatiate. Fill in the outlines. When you start anything with me in shorthand, it's bound to turn out to be a storm signal. Looked like rain yesterday, says the man. But it cleared off fine in the forenoon. I hear the farmers are needing rain right badly upstate. That's the kind of canter, says I. Shake the New York dust off your hooves and be a real agreeable kind of centaur. You broke the ice, you know, and we're getting better acquainted every minute. Seems to me I asked you about your family. Oh, yeah, they're all well, thanks, says he. We we have a new piano. Now you're coming it, I says. This cold reserve is breaking up at last. That little touch about the piano almost makes us brothers. What's the youngest kid's name? I asks him. Thomas, says he. He's getting well from the measles. I feel like I've known you always, says I. Now there was just one more. Are you doing right well with the cafe now? Pretty well, he says. I put away a little money. Glad to hear it, says I. Now go back to your work and get civilized. Keep your hands off the weather unless you're ready to follow it up in a personal manner. It's a subject that naturally belongs to sociability and the forming of new ties. And I hate to see it handed out in small change in a town like this. So the next day I rolls up my blankets and hits the trail away from New York City. For many minutes after Bud ceased talking, we lingered round the fire, and then all hands began to disperse for bed. As I was unrolling my bedding, I heard the pinkish-haired young man saying to Bud, with something like anxiety in his voice, As I say, Mr. Kingsbury, there is something really beautiful about this night. The delightful breeze and the bright stars and the clear air unite in making it wonderfully attractive. Yes, said Bud. It's a nice night. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We do have a few recent reviews to share with you. The first one, Great Listening, Five Stars. I just enjoyed Long Odds by H. Ryder Haggard. Have you looked at the writings of Peter Hathaway Capstick? Great stories, but they might not be public domain yet. How about Robert Rourke or Jim Corbett? However, those are all non-fiction, I believe. That one from John the Chicken Doctor, Apple Podcast, U.S., and John, yes, I did look into those, and none have any, and none have anything in the public domain. I can tell you that Jim Corbett is a very, very interesting writer and man. He was a professional tiger and panther hunter in India at a time when many hundreds of people were being attacked and eaten by wild panthers and tigers. 
and he had written a lot on the subject and on the hunts that he had made. A fascinating guy, and I might do a 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries on him. Uh, we'll see what the future holds. I do want to thank you for your review and for your feedback. Next, wonderful gift to the world, five stars. I was burned out after university and five years of intense reading when I found your podcast. This is a wonderful gift to the world and a great way to catch up on the classics, all the while having the coziest time of listening to a great voice reading you a fantastic story. A more than one story. My go-to podcast on tiresome days and for my early walks to work. Thanks again for making this podcast. That one from K.E. Thom, Apple Podcasts, Denmark. And this one, and I'm not sure what it stands for, five stars, App Store, my iPhone, buy. And then in the description, again, in quotes, this time, App Store, my iPhone. That one from Mohammed, Apple Podcast, United Arab Emirates. Thank you, Mohammed. <laughs> Please send me another with a little more explanation. But thank you so much for taking the time to write it. <laughs> That's it for today, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this O. Henry doubleheader to start off the year. Everyone, take care, stay safe, and we'll be back next Sunday night.